You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. letter to the Philippians was one of the epistles that Paul wrote while imprisoned in Rome. As you know, he wrote four letters. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those were what's known as the prison epistles. So, as we look at Philippians, it's a rather unique book. It's different than Paul's other writings. That is, Paul generally would do primarily doctrinal teaching in the first half of the epistles, and the second half would be practical application. In the book of Philippians, even though he does give some great and tremendous doctrines, the primary essence of the book of Philippians is going to be that of a practical application of our faith. That is, the gospel being lived out through Paul. Here we have a man who is in prison in Rome. He's tied to the Praetorian guards, or chained to the Praetorian guards. He's under house arrest, and he's not even known where he is. When he first went to Rome, He was welcomed by all the Christians. After he was imprisoned, hardly anybody kept up with him. Nobody knew where he was. And so as we think about what transpired to Paul and what circumstances he was in, and yet he penned this letter, which is considered one of the most joyous, Epistles in one of the most joyous writings in the entire New Testament. So let's get a little bit of the background of what Paul was doing, where he was, and what was going on. We all know we live in a society that's joyless. People are desperate trying to find joy and pursue happiness. Joy and happiness that is rooted in circumstances, is something that is elusive, temporary. It's dependent upon what we have, what we do, our health, all those things when we talk about happiness. Joy, on the other hand, when we consider joy from the perspective of the biblical understanding, it's something that we can describe this way. Joy is the biblical conviction that God is sovereignly in control of all events in a believer's life for the believer's good and for God's glory and is available to all who obey him. That's the biblical definition of joy. Contrast that with happiness, which is dependent upon circumstances. 
As we look at uh, this book or this letter, Paul wrote this letter, as I mentioned, while he was in Rome. He faced fierce and unrelenting opposition, both from the Gentiles as well as the unbelieving Jews. That was because of one reason. He was proclaiming the gospel. The unbelieving Jews disdained Paul. Those who uh, remained in Rome. As you know, the most of the Jews were dispelled from Rome by Claudius because he considered them a nuisance and troublesome. The book also reveals the mind of Paul, which was filled with the peace of God. We have to remember, during the last years of Paul's life, he faced imminent execution. As Jim took us through the book of Acts, he did uh, as much as he could a study on the amount of miles that Paul walked or traveled during his various missionary journeys. It was estimated that Paul traveled almost 10,000 miles during his missionary journeys, during his time of proclaiming the gospel. Think of that. During that period of time and the difficulties of travel, the dangers, the perils that he faced, and as he reached the end of his life and as he was in prison in Rome, he was suffering greatly physically and also because of the those that turned against him. So Paul had a great love for the believers and he carried that love as he proclaimed the gospel and traveled throughout Asia and Europe to proclaim the gospel. Except for Timothy and a few friends, and Epaphroditus, who was soon to carry this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, he was by himself, alone. Luke tells us that when Paul arrived in Rome as a prisoner, many of the Christians went out to meet him. But, as I mentioned earlier, as the years passed, the pastors were jealous of Paul, And that's why in the book of Philippians, he said, some preach the gospel out of jealousy and strife, hoping to do me much harm. But he was joyful because at least the gospel was being taken forth. As they went, time passed in Rome as he was in prison, they couldn't even find him. Onesiphorus, visited Rome, and he tried to find Paul some years later. And you could tell that it was difficult because nobody knew where Paul was. They lost track of him. Some of them didn't even know that he was in prison. But the faithful pursuit by Onesiphorus, he did finally find out that Paul was in prison and he went to visit him. Because of the jealousy and strife of the other pastors in Rome, they tried to mock 
Paul tried to reduce his ministry by discrediting him, and yet he went forth with diligence. I can only imagine the physical pain that Paul must have been suffering at this time in Rome. Having, for a period, been in a dungeon, filthy dungeon in Rome. And as you think of the guards in a prison in Rome, some of them were treacherous. They were brutal. And that goes to say, without, without saying the early convert, which we'll discuss later, one of the first early converts of Paul was the Philippian jailer, which is rather interesting when you think what a treacherous and brutal man he was prior to his conversion. This is an interesting book in that even in the first chapter, Paul mentions Jesus Christ, our Christ, 17 times. In the first chapter alone. It's significant that uh, Paul wanted to know Christ and know him well. Paul achieved many things, humanly speaking. But he had, uh, because of his past, he had been a rabbi. He had memorized much of the Old Testament. He had a great understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. And he also uh, understood when he was converted on the road to Damascus the great peace that he could partake of in Christ. Philippi, the city and its people. Philippi is located in northeastern Greece and it was the first major city where Paul preached the gospel. He was very strategic in where he went. But this was a very unique time when Paul went there. We'll talk about that in a minute and why he was directed to Philippi. The city was uh, an ancient city and Philip II of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, was quite interested in the city of Philippi, mainly because they mined gold and silver. And he wanted the wealth that came from that. So in 356 B.C., he formally established Philippi as a city bearing his own name. Philippi remained as insignificant until the Roman conquest of Macedonia, which was in 167 B.C., now, it's interesting. Philippi became famous as the place where Mark Anthony and Octavian defeated the Romans' Republican forces, who were that of Brutus and Cassius. They were the assassins of Julius Caesar. So, they settled there a number of soldiers. Philip designated a, a number of soldiers to settle in a colony in Philippi. So here we have in Roman uh, soldiers in Philippi taking residence. Also, Philippi was given the highest privilege, 
possible for a Roman provincial municipality. It's called the Ius Itacillian, which meant that they were governed by Roman law. Philippi took part in every aspect of the Roman culture. Their coinage had the images of Roman Caesars. Their dress was similar to that of Rome. They spoke Latin, the language used in Rome. Also, they, their architecture was that of the Roman architecture. So everything that Rome was, Philippi became. It was like a little mini Rome. They mimicked everything that Rome did. Rome was laid out in similar patterns as far as their architecture, and it became one of the leading cities and a stopping place along the Via Ignatia, which was the road that linked the Adriatic ports to Italy. So it was a major city. It was an important city, and it was also a very prosperous city. The religious life of the people, in spite of the strong influence by the religious life in Philippi in Paul's day, the non-citizens included were various backgrounds that lived in Philippi. There were divinity and cults, and they worshipped Greek gods. They had idols everywhere, much like that was in Rome, which was in Rome. So they, they were idolaters, full of idolaters in Philippi. There were what was known as statuaries. That is, they had statues of various Greek gods from Egypt, and especially the Greek god of Isis. The official imperial religion seemed to dominate the society in Philippi. The Jewish community in Philippi was quite small. In fact, when Paul went somewhere to a city, he would minister first to who? The Jews. And then he would bring the gospel to the Gentiles. But when he reached Philippi, there was no Jewish synagogue. Why was that? Well, it took, it required ten Jewish men in order to have established a synagogue. So there weren't even that many men in Philippi in order for them to have a synagogue. So when Paul got there, he saw how pagan that society was and what idolaters there were. So he sought out believers. He looked and found out that there was uh, actually an informal meeting just outside of the main part of town in a place by the river Gangades, where there were several women on the Sabbath praying together. As Paul came across these women, he approached them, and we have then the first giving out of the gospel to these women. 
Claudius, who was the Roman Empire, took steps to discourage Judaism, so he expelled most of the Jews from Rome. When Paul arrived at Philippi and a second missionary journey, it's estimated that that was between 49 and maybe 52 A.D., according to Luke's account. Paul and Silas, after passing through Syria and Cilicia, were strengthened by the churches and went towards Ephesus. Possibly they wanted to make or set up a base from which they could evangelize all of Asia. So they set up a headquarters in Ephesus. But having been prevented from preaching, they went north and tried to enter Bithynia. Once more, their plans were thwarted. And with only one way to go, they turned and reached out uh, to the Aegean coast at the port of Troas. Timothy had already joined Paul along with Silas. And then it was supposed or presumed that Luke also joined them. Guidance came to Paul in an unusual way. One night he had a vision and he saw a man from Macedonia standing and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Then he said, we got ready to leave at once for Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel to them. So they crossed the sea from Troas to Nepalus, and they journeyed about 10 miles along the Ignatian Way to Philippi. So Paul's urging to go over to Macedonia came to him supernaturally from a dream or a vision. So as we consider that, we know that God had already prepared this people for the gospel. He was preparing them for this man to be bringing them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Consistent with uh, his regular practice, as I mentioned, Paul went to look for the synagogues, couldn't find any. But then, as he was explaining the gospel to a group of women, there was a woman there by the name of Lydia. Now, Lydia uh, made what they call the purple cloth, which was an extremely valuable form of linen. And she was wealthy. And when Paul presented the gospel to her, she was one of the first converts. She received the gospel and eagerly was able to follow Christ. In fact, she was so, she loved Paul so much and Silas that she opened her home for them while they were there. She was a wealthy woman and she exercised hospitality so the gospel could go forth. We don't know exactly how many were added to the church when Paul went to Philippi, but it is clear that there was a young congregation that continued to show faithfulness to God. And they also had a loving concern for Paul. Paul was able to look back at that little church and those believers in Philippi with great love and affection. They gave sacrificially to support Paul, though they were poor, those that had 
believed, with the exception of Lydia. Mostly the people of that congregation were poor, and yet they supported Paul in the mission outreach that he brought. God began a good work in them, and he continued it on. As we look at what Acts tells us, Luke appears to have stayed on in Philippi after Paul left. And it's possible that he may have stayed there between seven and eight years. And he may be the one that's referred to as the true yoke fellow, whom Paul asked to help Yodia and Syntyche because they were arguing he wanted them to come together. So women played a significant role in the Philippian church. As we look at the women in Philippi that became believers, they assisted Paul in his preaching of the gospel. They provided food and housing for Paul and those with him. So they played a significant role in continuing to bring forth the gospel. Paul continued uh, to maintain contact with the Macedonian churches through Timothy. He visited him on at least two occasions, and probably during the fall of either A.D. 54 or 5, and again in the spring of 56 A.D. Philippians continued their wrong, uh, friendship with him and sent him gifts on several occasions. Then they dispatched Epaphroditus to minister to Paul's needs. As Paul became ill, as he had different uh, physical difficulties, they began to minister to Paul with food and raiment and tried to provide him fellowship as he underwent his suffering while he was under house arrest in Rome. There were examples of the Philippians' general giving and loving spirit, but significantly that lasted because 50 years later, it is recorded by historians that the Philippian church showed a great care and love and support for the bishop of Antioch, a man by the name of Ignatius. While he was on his way to Rome under military guard, the Philippian church provided food and provisions for this bishop as they transported him under guard to Rome. Now, the authorship of the book of Philippians, there had never been any contested uh, attempt to contest Paul's authorship of this letter till later in perhaps the 18th century, but they weren't really credible critiques. So for the most part, it was generally accepted throughout church history that Paul is the author of Philippians, and there's never been any credible uh, evidence otherwise. There are some that seem to wonder if they're the letter was written in segments and then put together later in a different format. But that question was resolved also 
later on in church history. So the letter as we have it today was that of Paul's hand. It's clear that as Paul wrote this, he wrote it sometime in between 61 and 62 A.D. So it wasn't maybe four years following that that Paul was executed. He died, according to tradition, he died from decapitation. So we have Paul throughout his whole life bringing forth as a Christian from the time of the Damascus Road conversion until he died, faithfully bringing forth the gospel. He was uh, under house arrest for at least two years. And he was still able to send and write and send letters while he was under house arrest. If Philippians was written from Rome, which is most likely most historians agree to, then Paul made multiple journeys prior to that to Philippi. And Paul's plans or contingent was a resolution of the trial. He thought maybe that he might possibly be released, but later on he realized, no, he was not going to be released. And if you remember, in one of the epistles to Timothy, Paul said, he asked Timothy to come quickly to bring him a coat. He was getting cold while in prison. And it's Likely, historians say that Timothy never was able to be there before Paul died. And we don't know that for a fact, but that's what historians say. So Paul was very grateful and he loved the Philippian church. He had a special love for them, being that how they ministered to him and the growth that they exhibited, as well as the fact that that was one of the first churches that Paul brought the gospel to. So as we think of that and how the gospel grew from there, it is by God's grace alone that we see the spread of the gospel. Paul tells us, uh, even though he was asking for food and to send him clothing, we know how he was a base, and yet he knew how to live in contentment. He says this, Whatsoever state that I was in thereof, I have been able to learn to be content. So Paul understood God's provision and God's peace and God's provision. He was a true servant, one of which that was none like in all of church history. Paul, as he was suffering in prison and in a great deal of discomfort, at the time of this writing was probably an old man, way before his time. And it is estimated, Jim thought that the, as we discuss the date of Paul's death or how old he was, he was probably in his mid-60s or early 70s when he died. We have to acknowledge something as we look at life. The 
Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, The strain of life is very serious thing. No one should make light of it. The world is full of trials and tribulations, but the world cannot offer any hope. For there is a man in the midst of the great trials who glories and triumphs and rejoices. Not only that, he's able to impart something of that joy and triumph, not only to those who are immediately around him, not only to those who receive the letter, but even to us today, almost 2,000 years after he wrote the letter. End quote. Paul's writing in this letter of Philippians is a great encouragement no matter what our circumstances, whether we're going through difficulties or trials of any kind, certainly they're not going to exceed what Paul experienced during his life as a servant of God. So this is the theme of the letter as we go through the book of Philippians. There's a lot of questions that we'll be addressing, some of which is this. We shall look at and ask, what is life, what is death, from a biblical perspective? We're going to see what happened in the incarnation. Now, Jim has just gone through expositionally the essence of the incarnation, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And we're going to be examining that as well in light of Considering the meaning of justification by faith through grace. We're also going to consider what prayer is, as Paul outlines it in the book of Philippians. This letter doesn't, it isn't filled with doctrine. It's, it's not didactic as, as other letters, as I mentioned earlier. But it is full of practical application for us as we grow in Christ. As we see Paul exhibiting this, we have a picture of what the gospel does, the transforming power of the gospel. And that's what we're going to examine. Paul's message to the Philippians can keep us steady and give us strength through Christ. And we can learn to rejoice in unspeakable joy, full of glory. And the secret of all is Paul's understanding of who Christ is, and what he has done. We're going to look at some things in aspects of, as we look at the city of Philippi, what was that city like compared to what we experience today in our country? What are some of the comparatives? Under Roman rule, as we look at even that, How does it compare with anything that we may experience in our own contemporary life? How did Paul reveal himself in the ancient history of Philippi? How did God reveal himself through Paul? What did God do through Paul as he went to Philippi, as he ministered to Philippi, and then later wrote this letter to Philippi? When asked this one question, can any of you think of any instances in your life, as Paul penned this, with this promise, have you ever experienced this promise fulfilled in any way? And I'm sure we'll get a resounding 
Yes. Paul says this in Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I'm going to close with that. And I want you to recognize that as we study God's word, whether we're looking at John or whether we're going to be looking at any of the Corinthian books or whether we're in the book of Philippians, God fills it with calls to obedience. He fills it with promises. He fills it with commands. But he also fills it with hope. And all of it is based on Christ. Everything emanates from that of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here in this little epistle, we'll get great encouragement. And I hope that uh, we'll be able to join me as we go through this book intermittently between Cornell's teaching. So I appreciate uh, the opportunity to give you an introduction to this book. Are there any questions, by the way, before I close? I thought, sure, you'd have something for me, Pat. It's okay. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your work and your servant. And as we look at your servant, Paul, we thank you for that which you fulfilled through him in the proclamation of the gospel. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy in the work of salvation. We thank you, Lord, for the God that you are. We pray now that we would be able to enjoin in the service of worship and to be able to receive your word and to be able to respond in obedience to your word as you work in us and through us, through your Holy Spirit. We just pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.